of Holiness podcast with Reverend Carolyn Moore and Reverend Pierce Drake. Join us today as we lean into practical holiness, intergenerational relationships, and supernatural ministry. This is a New Room Network podcast. We're so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or maybe good evening. Uh, It's so good to be back with you. My name is Pierce Drake. If we haven't met, welcome to the Art of Holiness podcast. Carolyn, always great to be with you. And you also, my dear son in love, Pierce Drake. Thank you. It's great, (laughs) really great to have you guys listening this um, summer. We're just, I'm just been really excited about the interviews that we've had. Yeah. And and particularly excited about how excited our listeners have been. So thanks, thanks for the, thanks for listening, and thanks also for the comments that you send and leave. Um, please pass this along. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that you know, do whatever it is you're supposed to do on on the, your podcast world, like it and sit and and subscribe, you know, subscribe and all that stuff. That's how so good that, we are at podcasting. We don't even know. know the language, my friends. We don't. I don't. Listen, I'm the 34 year old pastor, and I've kind of been in this situation for a while now. But I'm the pastor that's like people comes like, "Hey, how do I do this on social media, or how do I?" And I was like, "I don't know. I don't. I don't. I missed it. I missed it by like four years." Well, so much of this uh, podcast for you and me, Pierce, has just been us really enjoying mm-hmm. voices we so deeply admire. Yeah. And today is another level of that. Um, yeah. I got very excited about um, this book, Traveling Light. Uh, it's written by Eugene Peterson back in the 70s, but it's just been re-released by IVP. And when I saw it come out and noticed that, uh, that, that Eugene Peterson's son, Eric Peterson, was sort of doing the media for this, for this re-release, I just got really excited mm-hmm. about hearing how, hearing how the contemplative life of Eugene Peterson passes along while we talk about freedom. So yeah. in this episode, this is what we're doing. We interview Eric Peterson, a writer and pastor, raised into faith by one of our generation's most well-known spiritual voices, Eugene Peterson. So we talk with Eric about his father's spirituality. Uh, we talk about the re-release of Traveling Light. Uh, and about we we get we go in pretty deep on the whole business about genuine biblical freedom, something we're all hungry to encounter. And then we kind of wrap it up around um, uh, Eric's personal life with his dad and um, what he learned. Uh, so we get a little bit of intergenerational stuff in mm-hmm. there too. This is a podcast you're going to want to uh, listen to all the way through with with something to write on and write with my friends. So listen up. Well, Eric Pearson, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. You're welcome. Yeah. So, um, for those of you, we talked about in the intro, uh, your dad uh, is Eugene Peterson, and you learned a lot from your father about ministry life, um, and in your book and his book, some through his positive example and some through his mistakes. Um, and Eugene Peterson was a lot of things. He was a pastor, he was a writer, he was an academic, and obviously uh, a father and a husband. But maybe more than most, his life was shaped by a concern for the state of his own soul. So, in what ways did that concern manifest itself in his life? Well, I think it's um, <clears throat> it wasn't 
like initially a concern. It was a the concern, if that's the right word, was sort of born out of an awareness of what how important this is. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I think what I saw in him and learned from him is that the soul um, is. I mean, we I, we probably shouldn't try to define it too carefully, too precisely. Yeah. Um, but think of it as like the essential, holy core of our being. This is where the, the spirit of God dwells. This is um, how we reflect the divine presence. Um, because the Bible is not very precise. You know, it, it uses different words interchangeably and it's, it kind of, um, it ranges a fair amount. So, uh, but something about the essential core, the, uh, that just, uh, that the essential self um, as we're created in the image of God. And as it turns out, um, uh, you know, the soul has an agenda. Um, mm -hmm. And so there are, there are, there are plenty of people in this world that would tell us kind of who we are and what to do and how to live. Um, but we can't, kind of give agency to anybody else to be the custodians of our souls. That's our responsibility. Hmm. Uh, that anybody else has a conflict of interest. And so it's really up to us. It just behooves us to, to be attentive, number one, to the reality of our soul and then being attentive to the condition of our soul. Um, so I think that's, that's what I learned from him is he was just, aware that the soul needs to be attended to, cared for, protected, nourished. And, um, and it looks different for, for everyone, but, um, but that's where the concern comes from knowing that it was um, that, that uh, this love can be kind of treacherous and parallel health of one's soul. Hmm. That's good. I think I am going to ask you if if you if you're able to move a little closer to the router. There's a few points in that just a little bit that kind of did did kind of go back it up and down. Well, darn it! I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're okay. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to scrap it, but it was enough That's to right. go like, yeah. <laughs> We're probably about to do this now. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> but we have all yes. We just had a, a fire alarm that got set off. And there's just all kinds of chaos around here these days. Stuff going, yeah. I was, at a, I was at a coffee shop this morning, and the fire alarm went off. And I was like, why is the fire alarm going off in a coffee shop? Like, there's no there's no smoke in a, you know. Right. <laughs> I was at the playground, the, the, the trail yeah. um, near, our, near our house the other day, and the fire alarm went off outside and I'm looking around there's nothing on fire I'm thinking am I supposed to leave this place or <laughs> so I just kept walking nobody came after me but it was a huge alarm yeah that's funny okay I think I've turned off the furnace blower I'm in an old coffee room. You're, in, you're incredible. Okay. Thank you. Thank there you. are no chairs here, so this is what you get. Oh, this is great. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you're you. You're the best. Um, so, okay, hopefully this will work a little better. This will look great. All right. 
So speaking of that, let's. Uh, what I'd love to hear is obviously you made a great point, right? It's different for each person. So you learn for that ability to have that concern, that awareness. Um, so what did you learn about tending your own soul um, and how to best tend it from him in those regards? Yeah, I mean that's that is the, the that's the million dollar question, I think. Um, and as I, you know, I'm I'm 60 years old. I've been, you know trying to travel this life of discipleship for a while, been a pastor for about 35 years. And so this is like, this is what I'm paying attention to. But um, I think it's best to try to answer that question or get at it through um, an understanding of repentance. Um, the, the movement of repentance is a turning from and a turning toward. Mm-hmm. There's a no that precedes the yes. Right. And it's usually in that order. So this is, um, this is kind of the baptismal dance of renunciation and affirmation. And I think that's the cadence of soul care. Um, it's paying attention to... Uh, the saboteurs of one's soul, that is the, the seductive influences that um, are poised to do damage, saying no to that, avoiding that, and then turning to that behavior, lifestyle, relationships, ideas, thought patterns that are life-giving, that are God-honoring, that kind of thing. So I had a, I had a conversation, for example, with a parishioner just the other day, and um, and she was talking about how she needs to manage her time on social media because she likes the likes Mm. and she's a really good writer and she can, you know, craft things in ways that can just garner a lot of attention and thumbs up and wows and comments. And she, she notices how that makes her feel. And so um, she so she's it's a seductive kind of thing in that she's inclined if she doesn't hold this in check to chum the waters to chum the social media waters mm. to get these likes mm-hmm. she just knows that's not good for her soul and so she um, sort of mitigates or uh, limits the amount of stuff that she puts out there so I think I just think that's an example um, Eugene um, I think I've told this story somewhere else but <clears throat> it was maybe 12 years before his death, 12 or 15 years. And we were having a conversation related to an invitation that he had received to go to South America for a large stadium event where he was to be a keynote speaker. And his hesitation around it was, uh, was confusing to me. So I finally just asked him, what's, what is this about? Why don't you just say yes and go big and, you know, the world needs to hear this message, and he, um, and he just been wrestling with this long enough, praying about it, that he was um, just kind of cued in to the danger, and he said, "Eric, I'm I'm actually afraid of losing my soul." Hmm. Wow. Um. So I think that was one of the more kind of sobering wake up moments for me to to realize, oh, this, that's what's at stake here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true for everyone. You don't have to be famous or well-known or a celebrity. There may be some additional pitfalls accompanying uh, that kind of a profile, high profile, but we, we all um, have our seducers that 
have the power to um to i think it's just doing damage is how i think about yeah. it to do uh lethal sometimes irreparable damage to that essential precious uh soul of this you know who the the essence of who we are so how do you how do you f- i think that is a word definitely needed deeply needed not definitely deeply needed like and I, I'm so thankful that you said it. Regardless of high profile or not high, high profile, we all have that um, temptation. How do you how do you not let the pendulum swing all the way in the other direction and become like a desert father um, or desert mother and just kind of like go be by yourself and you're a monk and and you don't produce and there's nothing you give. You, it's just you and Jesus in the cave. How do, how do you not let it swing all the way back in that direction? Because your dad obviously is right. He's producing. He is. He is. He is giving to the kingdom. Uh, he's pouring out faithfully, um, and so it didn't cripple him in in that regard. Right. No. And that's. Um, so I think the the nature of discipleship is inherently risky. Uh, we are being sent into a world that is fraught with perils. There are, you know, wolves and demons and principalities and powers. And I don't see an escape clause in the scriptures. I think this is what we're baptized to enter into. That's precisely what happened to Jesus uh, following that pattern. He goes from the waters of baptism while he's still dripping wet. Yeah. He goes, goes toe-to-toe with the devil. Um, so there's no escapism. Um, uh, so I think it's a matter of wisely entering the treachery and, and paying attention, being just vigilant about soul care. Like, how am I doing? And, and being honest with oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what I've noticed in myself and others that we can just, um, we can be so deceived. Like, no, this is, good and I'm okay and I'm above this and I'm not, you know, I've got an incorruptible spirit kind of thing. Mm. Uh, I just think we have to be wary and know that we're all prone to uh, this, you know, some form of seduction. Um, and, but it's, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the pendulum. I think there is a certain amount of rhythm that's involved, right? We right. enter into the, the hard stuff of life and then there are seasons when we step away and rest mm-hmm. and experience solitude and kind of regroup and uh, maybe heal um, but the the people in my observation that have gotten into the into trouble are the ones that uh, don't step away yeah um, uh, don't go to a quiet place and pray it's yeah. good yeah what I what I like about this idea of uh, I mean, the, that that line, to do damage to your own soul, I'm afraid this might do damage to my soul. That is a very different kind of soul care than I need a pedicure today because I want to make sure, you know, <laughs> I have space and time for me and Jesus in the in the nail place. That's it. Or, or you know, the, we, the pendulum swing can also go in that direction of me time uh just being just being very attentive to ourselves to the exclusion of really the call of god or not really understanding the call of god may take you and stretch you in some places you don't often hear people say that um i'm you know 
for the care of my soul, I don't want to do this really big thing. <laughs> or for the care of my soul, I don't want to be in front of an audience. Um, that's just a very different kind of sacrifice and a very different kind of sensitivity in the spirit and, and that leads to a, a, a more selfless humility. So it's not self-preservation in the sense that I'm going to make sure I have good time off and that I, uh, you know, that I pamper myself in some way, which I can hear in some contemporary Christian circles. It's not that. It's more, I had better be very careful of those subtle temptations of the enemy that can lead me. I really appreciate your word seductive, can lead me seductively down a trail uh, that is self-aggrandizing, but soul-killing. Yeah. Well, and, and that may be the reason, I mean, I'm not a fan of like self-care language. Me either. Um, that's what that I'm, that's can, actually what I'm getting at. Exactly. That, that can lead to almost like a, you know, a narcissistic, self-indulgent, yes. uh, self-serving uh, purpose. But if we talk about soul care, that implies that um, I'm attending to something that's holy, the, the divine presence, that yes. the spirit of Jesus Christ is living in this body. So it's not even so much about me. It's about honoring the... Um, it's honoring the presence of Christ that's living within me. Yes. Um, that, that, that sounds like a bit of a nuance, but I think it makes all the difference. Yes. I, I, I would agree completely. I would agree completely. So I want to talk about uh, a book that Eugene Peterson published in 1982 that is being re-released this year, Traveling Light. Um, it's beautifully personal it's a relevant study on the theme of freedom in the book of galatians what what is the motivation for re-releasing this book right now and it, and it is being released my dear listeners so go get it it's out there and and uh freshly packaged and a beautiful book yeah yeah it's interesting um so the the previous publishing house uh just um went out of business and ah. so the book became um, it was just available again. And, um, and so my siblings and I, you know, talked about it and we're just so pleased that InterVarsity picked it up. It now feels like it's kind of in the companion family of, of a long obedience and run with the horses. Um, but I, I was, you know, I read it when it first came out. I'm not sure that I've carefully read it since I was in college at the time. Uh -huh. Um, the, but the publisher sent me, um, you know, a, a copy and I've, I reread it in preparation for this conversation. I was just struck by how timeless it is. Mm. I mean, that was, that was some years ago yeah. and it's got kind of an enduring quality about it. Um, and so I, our thinking around it was this, um, uh, this needs to be reintroduced, uh, to another generation. Uh, this is, um, this is not peripheral. This is Really, uh, I mean, Eugene really believed that this was a central component to uh, the life of discipleship. Hmm. Yes, and, and as I we've talked about, the, well, and as we've talked about some of the kind of these soul killers, um, you know, the lack of freedom, any any form of bondage, right, uh, is just that. And so, this is the antidote to all that which, um, you know, enslaves us. Right, right. 
I, I, I'm like you, I read it years and years ago, had not picked it up, had not even really consciously sort of had it in my head until I saw it come back up as a, as a, as an offering through IVP. And, um, and I got really excited because right, it's a particular gift to me. Right now, our church is walking through a series called Freedom From Freedom To. So when I opened up Traveling Light and saw that every chapter is freedom to, freedom, uh, all, all the way through. And it's, it's a, uh, so the whole book is about freedom. Um, it's, it's written by Paul to the people of Galatia. F.F. Bruce, it's quoted in there. Um, F.F. Bruce calls Paul the apostle of the free spirit. I owe to be known as that, right? Yeah. <laughs> owe to be known as that. So I've just, I've been thinking a lot about the nature of spiritual freedom. So let's talk about what, let's talk about that. What does it look like to be spiritually free? Well, I would love to know. I mean, that's that's the quest that we're all on because we are all children of. Um, I mean, we're we're still under the hand of Pharaoh. We're we're Egyptian. Uh, I mean, we're slaves, right? Um, there there are various forms of oppression that hinder us from being fully free. So, I think it's important to acknowledge that this side of heaven, there's some element of that. I mean, no one achieves full freedom in this life. There's always something to hinder and hobble us back. Um, but that's the, I think that's the, uh, kind of the, the quest. I mean, that's, I don't want to overstate that or exaggerate it or, uh, but I, I think that's what, uh, this journey is about. And I love the sermon series that you have because it reflects what we were speaking of earlier that, um, the, the no and the yes, the turning from the turning toward exactly. it. So it's a, it's the, the, the sacred movements of repentance. Hmm. Yes. Um, but but again, it's I've, I feel like I've said it, but I think uh, foundationally, the work and the movement is learning uh, and doing the the saying of no. Mm. It's the naysaying. It's the renunciation. I will not go there. Will not participate in that. And then we say yes to that which is. Uh, good, right, beautiful. So this woman I was referring to earlier um, who noticed that she was feeling the seductive forces of the affirmation on social media uh, previously, a few years ago, she's a, she reads books, um, audio books. She's a professional reader. And there was a book, a manuscript that was given to her to read that had profanity in it. And um, and so she came to me as her pastor's like, I don't know what to, you know, help me think this through. And, and it was hard because she needed the money and she's got a great voice. And there's a part of me thinking, well, um, someone's going to read it may as well be you. And, <laughs> but, um, but she's the author of that song, um, that has the line, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. Mm. Oh, my. I love you, Lord, and I lift my soul to worship you, O oh my King. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And she said, "I, uh, that's my lifelong prayer. I can't, yeah. I can't do that project. Yeah. 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 So I think that's an example of someone who is willing to make a decision a, a renunciation, a no, in order to say yes, and it and it involves sacrifice. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was not a 
uh, inconsequential decision. Yeah. 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 I know, uh, you know, this idea of freedom um, and the concept of it, thinking about it through the process of sanctification um, and, and becoming more like Christ and continually saying no you know, to those things as it comes up. There's, I know it's this this book, Traveling Lights on Galatians. Paul writes in um, Colossians. He writes, and, he, and it's a common theme, especially in Ephesians as well, where uh, he says in chapter three, he says, "Put to death, therefore, anything that 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 stays in you, and uh, of earthly thing." And he names some of the things, right? And we we've all preached that passage. But what I love is John Wesley. He when he kind of did his notes on that, he said, "What does it mean to be put to death?" And he says, "To slay with a continual swing, just a continual uh. swing of the sword of the spirit, right? Um, fighting against, uh, letting not not letting those temptations, uh, those saboteurs, as you said earlier, have a yes in your life." Um, where God's called those places to have a no, and so you step into those freedoms. So, yeah, I, I know we've. I'd love you to just pull apart a little bit. Like, yeah, where does freedom as a concept fit into the process of sanctification? Is it what we're heading toward, or is it a signpost telling we were in the right direction, or is it somewhere in between, or something completely different? Well, I mean, I think you know the answer to that question, and we would probably answer it slightly differently, but. Um, it does seem to me that it is the core of the life of discipleship. Um, sanctification, as you know, just really just means becoming holy. Mm-hmm. It's learning, it's, which means we become, we're becoming who we really are. Um, that's how God identifies us. And with what? One or two exceptions. That's how the Apostle Paul addresses his audiences in his apostolic letters, right? Um and, you know, so he's saying to, you know, here's Paul, to all the saints in Galatia. Um, actually, that might be the example. That's the exception. Uh, but, you know, Thessalonica, <laughs> Philippi, Colossae, um, yeah. and so on. And, um, and then goes on to criticize them. So he's not saying you have achieved full, um, you know, what some people in the more, what, um, are meaning traditions would say full, you've not achieved full sanctification. He's just saying that's who you are. Mm. And that, because that's what God has called you to be. And our work is to live into the reality of what God says is already most true about us. So it's, it's not so much about achievement, um, about becoming more like moral. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about the freedom that we are given to be our true selves. Yeah. We have, agency in that. We make decisions. Uh, we cooperate and participate in that process. Um, but I but I think just the fact that sanctification is related to the Spirit, what the, the Holy Spirit is doing, uh, I mean, that image, you know, of the wind, the breath, the Spirit, it's just, it just feels like it's flowing and moving and it's kind of wild. And, um, and that's the contrasting image for me. When I feel anxious, and bound up and inhibited, mm-hmm. um, that's that's sort of contra or anti uh, the sanctification agenda. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. the in the chapter entitled "Freedom to Stand," we we find this line where he writes, "Paul is absolutely certain, as we're talking, that we are set free. Freedom is a fact." 
He is also genuinely alarmed that freedom may be lost. The history of God's dealings with his people is marked by losses of freedom, often through sheer negligence. Paul addressing persons who have been set free for a life that can only be developed in an atmosphere of continuing freedom does well to warn and to exhort. Without determination and vigilance and freedom, and attention, sorry, freedom will be certainly lost. So, the question out of that, as we continue this part of the conversation, where is the church today in danger of losing that genuine biblical freedom? And maybe even then, where is our country in danger of losing its freedom? Well, that quote you lifted up is magnificent, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, Isn't it? That's just so... It's just brilliant. Um, and I, I mean, I think both personally and for the church and for the country, it, it tends to be uh, any of those things that lure us away uh, from, uh, the, from living the way we are in, imperfectly understanding God to have, you know, created us. Um, I see it primarily in, I mean, I think among the distortions of, um, of the Imago Dei or ways that the soul incurs damage is through this sort of gravitation toward power yeah. and influence. Um, and I think that's, that's what made Eugene in that story I previously shared so, um, so alarmed. Uh, he realized that, that that's he could he could see far enough down the road to know that that was a real possibility, and that he wasn't immunized from it. Uh, he he was aware of his flaws and his shortcomings and his weaknesses, and um, he just he just really had to um, make these intentional decisions to avoid uh, being put on these pedestals being referred to or thought of as a celebrity or anything like that, any, any kind of an iconic image. And so for him, part of it was just sort of retreating to obscurity. You know, he moved to Montana and um, he wasn't near anything exciting um, and just continued to write and live, a, you know, in these domestic rhythms with my mother. So I, I, I uh, am completely with you on that um, That quote just being so, it's just a beautiful quote. It's hard to figure out where to, where to end it because it's all so rich. Yeah. Um, but, but in that, in that idea that, that with, without determination and vigilance and attention and attention, freedom will certainly be lost. And it's, it does seem to me that there is a, um, an individual responsibility there there is a corporate body of christ responsibility there and then there is a national responsibility there and i i think we skate on the edge of this more than we believe we do (laughs) this idea that we could you can lose your freedom and not even be aware it reminds me of that um that analogy of the I don't, I don't remember. Maybe it's a maybe it's a bumblebee that if you put it in a jar and leave it there for long enough, and then open the jar, the bee will not even know the jar is open. He'll stay and he'll just stay in the bottom of the jar. Um, we can live our lives in the bottom of the jar with no idea that we have this freedom offered to us, and um, meanwhile, we're just down there starving to death spiritually. Yeah. Yes. 
It is a it is a both end. I think it's important to kind of keep those coupled. It's not an either or where it's all, all God or all us. There is right. It's mm-hmm. primarily God's initiative, but yep. we do cooperate and participate. Um, I mean, I think about I love that image that Bonhoeffer gave us about uh, referring to Advent as being like in a prison cell where the you have to wait for the door to be unlocked from the outside. Uh, but at some point, you you have to step through the door like the yeah. bee, right? And, right, and enter the freedom. Right. Um, but that's, that characterizes our life apart from God. We are imprisoned. We are in jail. We are bound. Um, we're slaves to a variety of things. And, uh, and through, you know, through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that, that lock has been, you know, broken. The chains are broken. And, yeah. um, and the gates of hell have been, you know, so, um, yeah, I think it's the both the both in. But I yes. totally agree with you that at both the individual, ecclesiastical, and national level, um, this it's it's it, we're in kind of precipit, uh, precarious um, territory. Yes, uh, and we're just deluded. Like we we think that uh, I mean we just say, gosh, if but if I just had that much power, I could do some really good things. Yeah, and then uh, invariably we find that the power is corrupt. Hmm. Yes. So there's another line that makes me hungry in this, in Eugene's book. It's freedom, if we get it, is a deliverance. That's a short, easy line, but I think that it, well, it just makes me hungry. And isn't this what we're after when we tend to our own souls? Um, it isn't ultimately about checking the boxes or, or pulling in and controlling what we can control. It is not, um, to quote another line in the book, a withdrawal into anxious weariness. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So how do we get there? How, and how can we derail ourselves? Which I think is kind of a follow up to what we've just been talking about. How can we end up at the bottom of the jar? <laughs> On our uh, by our own doing, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like we've kind of been talking about just those kinds of questions, um, mm-hmm. and but I think it does begin uh, with awareness, like just being attentive uh, to this, giving yes language to it, reminding ourselves and our people that this is the the essence of our being. Um, and they're just, a, I mean, they're just a host of what I call saboteurs to, to, to the free life. And, um, <clears throat> and I, you know, I'm still struggling with those. And I, I work really hard to identify them and not let them have undue power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you find? But, but, Good. Well, I was just going to say uh, uh, the freedom that we do end up experiencing is partial at best. Mm-hmm. It's never perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I just I think we need to kind of establish some expectations. Like there's a goal, but um, but it but it, you know we you know living as we do between the advents, um, all you know all the fulfillment, all the completion, uh, we don't get to experience hmm. in this life. Yeah, I want to turn for a second um, and and ask some questions a little bit different in a different mindset, different thought process is, um, so, uh, 
like yourself, Eric, I am the son of a pastor. Um, I'm a fourth generation minister and um, obviously married to a daughter who is a pastor's kid as well. Um, and you are a pastor's kid, and uh, now, uh, obviously, you've been a pastor, like you said, for 35 years, so you're not just a pastor, a parent um, of, of kids who now hold that PK. As you, I've heard you speak on, you've got grandkids now who, uh, you know, their granddad is a, is a pastor. So I'd love to go back a little bit to, you know, as a, a lot of our listeners, not all of our listeners, but a lot of our listeners are pastors, leaders in the church, how was that relationship with you and your dad? Was it easy to separate pastor and dad, or were they always the same thing? What did that relationship look like um, growing up? And then in turn, where have you, how have you, and where have you um, continued to put, you know, uh, practices and rhythms in place for the children to be first? Mm. Yeah, thanks for that question. Yeah, and I mean, people sort of assume uh, that there is that there's something like awesome about having Eugene Peterson as a dad, but for most of my grown up years, he wasn't the person that most people knew. He mm-hmm. was uh, he was unknown. So he really was my dad. Uh, he was my pastor also, and there was a season when we were in these um, what we call Timothy conversations, where we were studying First Timothy. Um, paragraph each week and praying together, and that was a that was a rich time. But that those lines between uh, father, pastor, and friend uh, were variously blurred over the years. Uh, he was really all three of those things, mm-hmm. but mostly dad. Um, so even when he, you know, was like a household name, um, can you hear that background noise? No, you're good. No, you're fine. <laughs> There's a plumber right behind me. <laughs> Even Friends, we're, we're all, all three of us are sitting in churches. Who knows what you might hear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, he, yeah, even, even after he became kind of a household name, uh, that didn't seem to really affect our relationships. Yeah. Um, he just he just held that stuff really really loosely. Yeah. Um, but was but as I have indicated, he was careful about it right. as well. Um, you may have to. I got a little distracted. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll just point this out. I think it's you know, I don't know. I think it's a special special is not the right word. I think it's a unique thing to have um, and a a blessing in one way and and a hardship in another for. Um, your pastor to be your parent, and and so when you you know every child um, is going to wrestle with their faith, is going to wrestle with who God is and what is salvation, and you, like, every person is going to wrestle with that. But then, like you know, your pastor is the one that is your parent as well, and so often I'm you know I think there's a lot of hope that I'm hearing in your story, so I say that. Um, it's just an interesting thing. So now myself being a 34-year-old, first-time dad, daughter is four years old, um, you know, it's it's becoming more apparent. The intentionality it's going to take on my end um, to let her know always, and that sounds bad maybe, and I'm just being completely honest, where it's like, hey, I am your dad first, you know. 
um, above everything else. I've heard you speak on another podcast that like, you know, um, no matter what you're doing, where you are, uh, your child calls and you're picking up. Like they never get the, they never get the declined phone call um, or, or the sent a voicemail. And so, yeah, just your dad did that so well. I'm, obviously, no one's perfect, right? That's what you talked about. But he did that so well. How are you? What are some practical tools that you've done, like that example, to to pour that into your children to make sure they have that right perspective? Well, I think I would first say I don't think he did do it very well. Oh, okay. Um, you're saying he didn't. Oh, okay. I misheard. I thought yeah. you were saying he did do yeah, it well. I mean, that, well, um, I mean, it, it developed into that. We mm. became very, very close. But um, when he was your age and I was your daughter's age, um, and for much of my you know early childhood development, he was pretty absent. Mm. And it took a while. I mean, I was an adult before I accessed the sort of that loneliness and that father absentee wound. Um, you know, propelled me into doing some deep work in therapy to yeah. try to, you know, understand all that stuff. And we ended up talking about it and, and it was a, re, uh, a reparative conversation and it really shifted at that point, but no, and he would be the, the first to say, um, wish there was a do over there for me because mm-hmm. uh, he kind of followed a workaholic, uh, workaholic pattern as his dad did. Um, so that was, um, so I think I would say that was one of the reasons in mind where I thought, I want my children to experience me differently as a dad. And the chances of being able to do that are pretty great because I'm not Eugene Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got more space to do that, but I was pretty determined. It was a pretty conscious choice on my part to, um, I never want my children to feel like they're uh, that the church is getting cuts to the front of the line for my attention. Mm-hmm. But that's, um, I mean, there, I, you know, like you, I'm a fourth generation pastor. My son, who is about your age, is um, he's a fifth generation pastor. Um, so the, the you know the faith gets passed on, and the vocation kind of continues generationally. Um, but not without difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, you know, and, until I was almost ready to graduate from seminary, I was trying to get as far away from the pastoral vocation as possible. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it wasn't because there was anything about it per se that I was repelled by. It was more just that the examples that I had, mostly in Eugene, but about five other living pastors in my extended family were just such exemplars of the vocation that I just thought, well, I can't do that. I'm way too young and ignorant and immature. And um, people should not trust their souls with this kid. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so it seems to me that, you know, generation after generation, we, we, it's not as if we clean it all up and do it perfectly. We just get to make our own mistakes, right? <laughs> Try to make different yeah. ones anyway yeah. than the than the ones before us. Um, you you give a you really do a great job, and Karen Newhoff does a great job interviewing you. You do a great job telling more of your story on his podcast. So I want to direct our listeners to be sure and listen to that as well. Carrie Newhoff's podcast uh, interview with Eric Peterson, and uh, please go pick up the book Traveling Light. 
Galatians and the Free Life in Christ by Eugene Peterson. Uh, it's a, a beautiful study uh, and will refresh your soul on the book of Galatians. Eric, I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity. We're truly honored that you would take time to be with us. Thank you very much. Oh, oh you're quite welcome. Thank you for the conversation. It's great to meet you both. You as well, yeah, my friend. You too. Take care. So, Carolyn, here's the thing that I've I got to be honest, you know, and, um, you know, <laughs> funny thing about that. Like, I'm going to take a side note for a second. I really mm-hmm. do. I really do um, dislike when pastors say that, and myself included, and that's why I'm calling myself out right now. When we say things uh-huh. like, hey, I'm going to be honest. Well, shouldn't we always be? And Thank you, Pierce. Should, Thank you. Shouldn't we it's always? It's one of my pet peeves, actually. I don't have we like not that talked about phrase. This? That, I think we probably have. Maybe. It is, bo- <laughs> it is bothersome. Also, the phrase, you know, this is one of my favorite passages. Every time you preach cannot be your favorite passage. Exactly. And so, um, you know, just be and honest. Likewise, just be I honest. Like, like every podcast cannot be your favorite they podcast. It can't. It can't. However. However. Yeah, it's always that however. But, um, and so... But I never thought about this idea of, as we talk through freedom and sanctification, uh-huh. this idea of sanctification, I've, I've always kind of seen it through the lens of, you know, saved by grace, it's not by our works, um, uh-huh. but it's that second work of the gospel that our friend J.D. talks about, and right. and it's and it's dying to self. And and putting mm-hmm. on, as Paul often says, compassion and gentleness and the character and nature of who Christ is. Yes. Et cetera. Yes and amen to all that. But I've never thought about it as sanctification about getting actually to the core of who we already are. Yes. I yes. I mean, that's one of those things that's like, I mean, when we, you know, that song I think is by Maverick City or something, Refiner's Fire, you know. Uh-huh. Is uh-huh. it's not just refining away and taking away so that you can put on the new. It's actually taking away to reveal the 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 imago day that's already been there. And maybe yes. I'm a bad Christian and elementary, and I will claim elementary Christian all day long. Um, to which Eugene Peter says, "To be mature in Christ is to be simple in Him." So I will yes. <laughs> I'll take that all day long um, yeah. at the table. But it is it's one of those mind shift things for me thinking through. Sanctification is getting back to the core of who you are um, than it is more so putting on the new, which I'm not trying to take away Paul's language here. So don't like text me and say like, hey, have you read the New Testament? I've read it. Um, Yeah. Right. But we are becoming who we really are. Exactly. That that is what sanctification is. And then then he also says freedom is the core of discipleship. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we're after. We are we are we are looking for our freest selves. Yes. Um, I want to come back to that quote that you read because it really is a profound quote. Um and and and, and there's just so much meat in here. Um and maybe our listeners want to hear it one more time. Um this is from the chapter entitled Freedom to Stand um in 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 Eugene Peterson's book Traveling Light. He says this Paul is absolutely certain that we are set free. And Paul's absolutely certain that we are free, set free. Freedom is a fact. He's also genuinely alarmed that freedom may be lost. Mm. That that is a 
powerful thought. And and I think when I heard you read that during this podcast and then we interacted together around it, I was made freshly aware that that I I am complicit in losing my own freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I am complicit in that in that work. Um, he, he goes on, the history of God's dealings with his people is marked by losses of freedom, often through sheer negligence. Not, not what I've done on purpose, but simply by being passive. Paul, addressing persons who have been set free for a life that can only be developed in an atmosphere of continuing freedom, does well to warn and exhort without determination and vigilance and attention, freedom will certainly be lost. Mm. That is what appeals so much to me um, around this whole concept of spiritual freedom. I think it can be lost on the individual level. I think it can be lost in the body of Christ. I think it, it, we would call that bad religion, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think it can be lost on the national level. Um, so. Um, so I so I just I just commend to our listeners the this do some journaling around that. Where am I in danger of doing damage to my soul? Yeah. And of losing freedom in yeah. the process. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. a I think it's a continual check. And and, right. and and it's a continual check, as I quoted Wesley in, which has become one of my favorite quotes, you know, of his kind of mm-hmm. Uh, notes on the New Testament, and um, and I think it's one of those things that if you know, this is crazy, and we'll talk about this later. We're coming up on this isn't a big thing for the podcast, but we're coming up on ten years of marriage for Claire and I this fall, just nuts. Yeah. You know that it's that's been ten yeah. years, and um, and so in that though, it's like anybody married that's you know communicating with their spouse and doing life with their spouse and. Um, we all know that your spouse will tell you where you're losing freedom real quick, you know, <laughs> like your spouse, right. your spouse can point it out. And so, but it's not just that it's, it's that. And, you know, we come from our Wesleyan heritage, the, the deep need for your band, you know, yeah. your, to yeah. your, your discipleship band to, you know, and at new room this year, if you're coming like, we're releasing a bunch of new stuff on banding. I really hope you can get there and get some of that new stuff that um, we'll be releasing at conference. But, but this idea of the simplicity of, hey, this is where my soul's at, inviting mm-hmm. other people into it that you trust to walk with mm-hmm. you, and then giving mm-hmm. them the freedom to go, yo, you're, you're not doing well. I right. know you think you're doing well. I know you think you're right. killing it. I know you love yeah. that last sermon clip they got posted to you, but I'm <sighs> sitting in the back room with you and you're dying. Yes. You know, and here's yeah. why, you know, and yeah. so, um, so, so it can't in, a, be in done. a sentence, yeah. where would you say that you are in danger of losing spiritual freedom? Mm. While you're thinking, yep. I'll tell you where yeah. a place where and 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 I I hit on it after uh, listening to the Carrie Newhoff podcast mm. of Eric Peterson talking about his dad uh, turning down that that mega mm-hmm. event invitation because he said it, it, I, I'm afraid it would do damage to my soul and um, and I, I I was deeply moved by that thought and I started kind of inventorying my life and thought you know what there there is a there is a group that I'm part of 
I walk in with resentment every week because it's at a time that's not that's not good for me. I didn't get to set the time. And rather than um, leaning in and enjoying it and, and just, just giving in to that, you know, inconvenience, I have walked in with resentment for, you know, for probably a year now. Wow. And uh, when I when I was able to confess that and say, either I don't need to be in this meeting or the time needs to change, I found out that most people in that room were walking in with an unspoken resentment. Mm. And resentments will kill your freedom in a second, just about quicker than anything. It's why it's such a big part of the 12-step program, you know, identifying and rooting out your resentments. Mm. So how about you? Yeah, I think um, for me, and I'd be interested to hear if this uh, gets better as you get more mature and older, Um, but I mean, it's busyness. It's just, it's just running, you know? And um, running at a speed that, um, you know, I I, in the last year, I'll just say this in the last year, I came up to a point where I just said, um, hey, I think I think I've got a few options here. And both were lies from the enemy. And Mm -hmm. in one of those lies, me and you processed it, obviously, in life. But one of those options were like, uh, I said, I think the result of this option would be that I would uh, always deeply love Jesus but I would fall out of the fear of the Lord. And when I thought that yeah. I might fall out of the fear of the Lord, that was the kind of aha, that was the wake up, that was the reminder, that was the the thing about busyness. And so uh, maybe it's maybe it is because of how um what's what I'm looking for, how attentive as we talked about and intentional I have to be with my schedule right now and busyness and life and um saying no to a lot of things that I deeply want to do. And they're not things that are on the stage, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but deeply, I'm having to say anyway, but yeah. So, but at the same time, they are busyness that um, is taking away freedom because there is no, in the busyness, there is no uh, margin and the things that are actually the most important get pushed aside. So that is... That is where mine is. So thankful, really good. thankful for this conversation today. Yeah. And uh, pray that you can pick up the book, Traveling Light, the re-release expanded edition by Eugene Peterson, forward uh, by Karen Swallow Pryor. And so Galatians and the free life in Christ. My friends, we are just about two months away from New Room Conference. So we hope you can make it. If you haven't yet uh, bought your ticket, buy it. Um, United is the best airlines to get here. And uh, you want to fly into Bush International, not Hobby. There's two in, I'm just giving away some good tips here. And uh, so (laughs) Hobby's going to put you about two hours away in Houston. So it's a big city. We love you. We can't wait to see you next week. Hope to see you at New Room and we'll be blessed. 